Appalachia is a place, a culture, a way of life, and a home to a diverse and select few. Farming and agriculture are at the heart of this rugged rural land. WEHC is pleased to introduce a new program to our lineup, Living Appalachia, a show dedicated to exploring and answering your questions about all aspects of agrarian life. Here now is your host for Living Appalachia, Brendan Blevins. Hello, this is Brendan Blevins. You're listening to Livin' Appalachia. Today I have with me Dwayne McIntyre of Goshen Homestead, and we'll be talking about homesteading in the modern era and uh, everything about that. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm, we're really happy to have you because I know homesteading's been on a lot of people's mind uh, that have listened to this show. So why don't we start out by uh, tell me a little bit about your homestead, like how big is it and uh, that sort of thing. Well, uh, it's Goshen Homestead. We're over uh, below the channels on the Russell County line, uh, which is out, out on 80. And uh, we have a 148-acre farm, um, and it's, uh, you know, lots of, it's tucked in the mountains, so it's not one of these flat, beautiful meadow farms out here in Meadowview or Emory, but uh, but we got, a, like, a little bit of flat land in the midst of all this mountain range, and uh, it's a gorgeous farm, gorgeous area. You know, we uh, farm beef, uh, I, you know, we say, I would want to say primarily, but, like, that's kind of the homestead nature of what we do. We, we have beef, we have dairy, we have chickens, meat, and layers. Um, we now have lambs, we do turkeys, we have bees, and, you know, we raise a lot of uh, produce and, and garden for ourselves and our family. So for everyone listening that's not familiar with homesteading, can you kind of break that down for us? How does that differ from like a traditional farm? Well, I think, I mean, traditionally farming, uh, I mean, traditionally all farms were homesteads, Um, you know, and then over, you know, the modern era, we've we've kind of adopted monoculture as as more of the mainstream farming where uh, a farm will just produce beef or just produce dairy or just produce, you know, whatever product it, it does. Um, homesteading is more just a uh, diversified, you know, portfolio of stuff. You know, we're not looking to feed the East Coast. So we're not, you know, ramped up on any one specific element of our operation. We're just, um, you know, kind of doing it all in a lot smaller capacity and and what we find is in the smaller capacity that you can control quality you can control you know and and manage a lot more of it um to your exact liking versus if you go too big you just you don't even know the different cows it's just you have a thousand cows and that one's the same as that one except for the ear tags different number you know whereas you know on our farm uh you know a lot of the cows have names and uh a lot of the sheep, all the sheep have names, all the dairy cows have names, um, you know, and you just know the individual cow. You have more opportunity to understand, um, you know, personalities within the animals, stuff like that. And then um, just management wise, it's not, you know, uh, industrial level production where you have all this mechanism to the operation dealing with waste and this or that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, as the bigger you grow, the more challenging it gets to manage a lot of that stuff. And so we kind of just come right under the threshold of it being out of our control, um, with all of our operations and, uh, works great. So 
how did you get into this? Like when, when was the uh, homestead started? Well, so we're originally from Pennsylvania and we, oh gosh, I mean, it's been uh, 16, 17, 18 years maybe. I think we might be heading into our 18th year. Um, you know, we traditionally, me nor my wife, had any agricultural background. We lived around the Amish, so, I mean, we were surrounded with it. But we just, you know, for ourselves, we didn't have no, no nothing. Um, then we met and, um, you know, we got married. And it was more, I think it was really kind of happened when my wife became pregnant with our first child. And we have now we have eight children, so we're we're large farm family. We all work the the homestead, but uh, back then it was just one. And you know we're young, we don't know nothing, we don't understand uh, you know life itself, you know let alone you know how to raise a kid or you know there's no book on that, and and so we're we're just trying to figure out what do we do? Like, what is our call to responsibility here with having a child? And, and the very f- easiest thing that kind of hit us was like, we've got to make it, make it healthy. I mean, it was a boy, but you know, <laughs> back then we just, you know, like health, that's all, the only thing we could control. We couldn't control whether it's going to be, uh, you know, inheriting a, a, you know, a wealth or, you know, any of that stuff. <laughs> we, I mean, it was just kind of this idea that like, all right, well, if we can give it a good start, then it can have a good chance at life. And and uh, right around the time, we were also falling into our faith, our Christian faith, and uh, reading scripture and, and understanding a lot of the elements of, you know, uh, you read through it, there's a lot of agriculture, there's a lot of food, there's a lot of discussion on good stewardship and animal husbandry. And so we were just kind of reading that and being kind of enticed to it. But then when we kind of had that, you know, push to like, we need to, you know, look into our food and, and our nutrition more, especially for the, for our unborn child, um, you know, first things first, you know, we're buying fresh produce. And I mean, I'm telling you, like, I, I say this to a lot of, a lot of people, but like, I think back in my childhood and I cannot remember ever eating a salad. I can't (laughs) ever, I mean, it was like encore meals out of an that just go in an oven or a microwave Mm -hmm. meal or potatoes and carrots i remember those and then for some reason i you know everybody wants you to eat brussels sprouts when you're a kid (laughs) and that stuff in the cans are just i just remember gagging and not not enjoying the experience whatsoever but now you know it's amazing because like you get fresh brussels sprouts from the farmer's market or something and they're delicious if you cook them right i mean it's like (laughs) You know, it's night and day difference what they're selling on the, the shelf at the store and what you can get at a farmer's market. And uh, so I, like, don't have very many memories looking back of just having fresh food. And uh, and so it felt right to go in that direction with our with our children. And um, and then, you know, immediately we were kind of living in an urban setting. And uh, we decided that, like, oh, we want to p- plant a garden and grow some of this food ourselves. And we were surrounded by Amish, so there was plenty of fresh produce to buy yeah. during, during the summer. And so we ended up renting from an Amish, and then next thing you know, we had a garden. And the first one was only like 15 by 20 feet, and we maxed it out. I mean, if you ever seen the book uh, Square Foot Gardening, yeah, oh, we did it to the T. I mean, we <laughs> produced a lot of food in that little one. So the next year we expanded and went to a 25 by 50 foot garden. But that's when we got our job offer to come down here. Okay. Um, so we, we kind of turned into raw milk um, fiends. Okay. Uh, up there and up in Pennsylvania, it's legal to sell raw milk. 
So our dairy farmer, Amishman, uh, organic Amishman, he uh, he bought steer from the Rafi Cattle Company, which is down here with the farm that we now mm-hmm. farm. And um, they were just having a conversation, and uh, his help was leaving, and he couldn't find anybody to come manage his farm. And so the Amish guy was, you know, literally, this is the quote, like, we know this crazy English family up here really wants the farm. And, <laughs> and Rafi... <clears throat> Excuse me, Rafi was convinced that, like, you know, he was going to come up. I mean, he came up the very next day after he called us to interview us. And I kept telling him, like, no, we're not interested. There's no way we're moving 500 miles away. There's no way none of this happened. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. So he came up, and we sat in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot for three hours, and he was just describing his operation. sounded wonderful. You know, and for us, we wanted a milk cow by that point. And yeah. so he's like, absolutely, I'll get it for you. You'll have it there first day. I mean, he really wanted us to come down. And uh, we were still not convinced that was even an option. Yeah. You know, I had a business, our family, you know, everything we knew was up there. And uh, he wouldn't take no for an answer. And he just said, you got to come down and see the farm. And to us, we were still kind of young. We only had two children at the time. And uh, we uh, just saw it as a road trip to come see more of the country. And uh, so that's what it was to us when we came down here. And we hit Chilhowie. And by the time we got into Saltville, we just knew that we were moving down here. Yeah. And we didn't even get to the farm. And Elk Garden <laughs> is a whole nother, oh, yeah. you know, level of beauty. There's a lot of valleys around here where you just, when you get tucked in them, you're just like overwhelmed by how gorgeous it is. And Elk Garden is one of those valleys. And uh, we went home and 30 days later moved down here. And, and that was 2008. And we worked for him for 11 years until we bought the farm from him. Okay. And now we own it the last, uh, what, four, three years. Uh, we've owned it. And, uh, well, we were farming it for ourselves a little bit before that point. Yeah. But then we we took it over, and now it's all ours, the beef, the everything. And uh, so now it's officially Goshen Homestead, and, um, and that's what we're doing. That's what we plan on doing. And I don't think we're going anywhere. You mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, biblically farming. You touched on that. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, we, when we were coming into this food knowledge, if you will, and just loosely quote, um, we were coming into our faith at the same time. So, you know, we, you know, like any book, we started reading the Bible from the beginning. Uh, me and my wife both didn't have a, you know, a denominational upbringing or anything like that. We didn't have the doctrines of you know, structured church or anything. So it was just us learning. And so we we started like a, a book and started on page one. And I mean, in the first, you know, half of the Bible, it's loaded with, you know, ways to do everything, not just, you know, um, you know, how to behave and not to murder people and all that yeah. stuff, but how to like farm and how to live and how to, you know, manage day-to-day living. There's like a lot of instruction in it. And um, what I found fascinating was a lot of it was agricultural, and, and diet even, like down to what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be eating. And uh, when we were like talking with people in the church about, you know, like, well, what's to say about these food lists? You know, we shouldn't be eating pig and you mm-hmm. know, shrimp and stuff like that. And most of the church's, you know, response was all oh, that stuff. You know, we don't have to worry about that. And, and it wasn't really kind of sitting right, but we didn't know better. Yeah. You know, we were just kind of like, all right, well, I guess nobody cares about that stuff. So um, I guess it's not important. But then, like, you know, learning more about the way our food is raised on an industry level, you know, a lot of that stuff kind of, you know, 
I mean, especially when you start watching documentaries and stuff, yeah. it, it really sets you like there's something wrong here. Like there's <laughs> morally there is like you shouldn't be doing it this way or you shouldn't be treating animals this way or you shouldn't be, you know, selling, you know, people unhealthy or product you wouldn't yourself. Yeah. Eat. And uh, and then we watched Food Inc. I don't know if you've ever seen that documentary. I mean, that's that's really where it was just like we were aghast. We we just we walked out of that going there is a morality to food, and so we went right back to the scriptures and started studying more of that out on a serious tone, taking it serious. Yeah, and we've just come to the conclusion that it's it's a uh, it's a strong part of what we're supposed to be doing in our faith is uh, good stewards of the land, good animal husbandry. Um, you know, eating for strength and not for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of principles like that. And so uh, so that's what a lot of our push into gardening and ultimately farming was because when you start asking questions like, how do you raise this? What do you do? Do you do this? Do you do that? A lot of people either don't know what they're really even doing because they've just been taught uh, traditionally from their parents and they're just kind of replicating what they know. Yeah. Um, or, you know, they just were really into their way of doing it and they don't really care about the way we want it. So we just kind of felt like, all right, well, we got to start doing this ourselves. Um, and so that's ultimately what led us in into what we're doing. And we're, when you talk about like just basic principles, you know, and, and on our website, GoshenHomestead.com, you know, we have a lot of this articulated. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, – Mainly just, you know, a lot of the non-pharmaceutical farming, you know, so like you're talking organic style farming, you know, not marrying a lot of pharmaceuticals into it. Um, so as far as that goes, how does that work with a certain animal, like livestock, um, with uh, like vaccinating and certain medicines? And like I know a lot of beef cattle get um, steroids and stuff nowadays. Yeah, well, we don't mess with the steroids yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, that's that's kind of where you're getting into. You're formulating a production result. Yeah. Um, when you get into medicines, though, I mean, a lot of medicines are simple medicines. Yeah. I'm not talking about like, a, you know, now we talk about gene therapy and stuff that's oh, way, yeah. that's <laughs> way outside of my, my uh, wheelhouse, if you will. But simple medicines like antibiotics. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff where, you know, antibiotics is – a legitimate um, medicine. Yes. I mean, you know, people would get a cut in their finger and die in their 30s, you know, 200 <laughs> years ago, and, and boom, we create an antibiotic, an infection sets in, it knocks it out, and we live a great long life. I mean, it's a great, <laughs> honestly, it's quite a blessing to it have. Um, and, you know, a lot of that stuff actually just grows on bread. You know, all that mold that grows on your bread and cheese, that's that's penicillin, you know, yeah. for the most part. And, uh so it's not like we're creating synthetic yeah. con- concoctions and alchemy. We're just, you know, kind of just honing in on, you know, molds and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, and, and, you know, when it comes to stuff like antibiotics now, I do know that, you know, you read a lot about abuse of that kind of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, of course, you know, if you're just going to throw, a- a- you know, medicines at anything just to – as a you know a way of management yeah. then that's just kind of irresponsible mm-hmm. and we've we've learned over the years that's very irresponsible yeah. it creates uh, resistant germs and stuff like that and then next thing we need is just something we can't <laughs> you know you know go back to where you know you cut yourself and you die <laughs> like yeah. Um, so, but, you know, if I cut myself and I had an infection going up my arm and, you know, gangrene and it's gone south on me, I mean, there's only so much you can do holistically 
to, you know, combat something like that. I'm, you know, preventatively, I'm all about that. Yeah. You know, but like there's a point where you just got to kind of, you know, hit it, get it out of there and, and, and just kind keep of, you going. yeah, and reset. And for the sake of the cows, I mean, I've actually, um, been out to organic farms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, and I, when I say this, I'm not saying organic farmers are all like this, <laughs> but the very specific one I went to was very bad management. And, um, they organics and animals you can't use antibiotics at all yeah and i've seen some of the cows on his milk line were just atrociously sick major infections in their legs you know to the point where every time they stepped on it pus was squeezing out of the hairline um and it it just kind of convinced me that you know that that's not the way to go i mean you've got to you've got to help the cow i mean if your own child if you will take them to the hospital and give them antibiotics if they're sick and needing it, then, I mean, you definitely, why wouldn't you do that for your animals? So, yeah. so antibiotics is one of those ones that we are not, you know, we're not, you know, medicines. Mm-hmm. We're not against medicines for sickness and using them in a responsible capacity for that. You know, some of the stuff I'm, I might be talking about is like the poisons you spread all over your food oh, yeah. to like keep animals away. Because, you know, uh, good food, animals want it too. Yeah. You know, so now if you're going to put poisons on it to keep the animals away, then you've made it almost a thing you shouldn't even be eating either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and then, uh, you know, the hormones like you're talking about the steroids and stuff like that. a lot of people are just looking for production. Yeah. You know, just that like quick, fast, like, you know, I give them a shot of this twice a week for the last four months and they get twice as big and mm-hmm. I get more money out of it. You know, stuff like that we're not interested in. Um, and then there's like hybridity, um, you know, produce hybridity. And, you know, a lot of modern farming is all, you know, industrially hybridized and, you know, and you get bigger, better. Yeah, everybody's looking for the bigger. Everybody's looking for the payout. Yeah. And so we're just not, that's what we don't pursue. And that's what we find in scripture that we're not supposed to be pursuing. And then, uh, different types of animals. We don't do pig, you know, obviously, um, we don't eat the rodents on our farm. You know, I know the, uh, our, some of our neighbors, you know, they think we're crazy that we won't be eating the squirrels or the groundhogs, but you know, that's more for them if that's, (laughs) that's how they feel. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's more just in line of natural nature, you know, the order of creation just kind of running itself and us just stewarding it rather than us controlling it, manipulating it for more gain. Yeah. And that's the ba- basic premise of it, uh, you know, all in all. Um, but all right, I have another question for you, but sure. for anyone listening real quick, here's our uh, phone number if you want to call in and ask your own question. It's 276 944 Six nine two nine, and you're listening to Living Appalachia, and we're talking about the Goshen Homestead today. Yeah. So, <laughs> my uh, my next question for you is: You have a lot of animals, like a lot of different types of animals you're raising on this homestead. What's the easiest, and what's the most difficult for you? Well, uh, the cows, the beef cows, mm-hmm. by far the most easiest. I mean, they <laughs> they run themselves. I mean, we just check on them because it's the routine. Yeah. And it's just worth, the you know, going out and looking at them and making sure they're fine. <laughs> um, they seem to just thrive in, in the space that we give them and the operation that we have. Um, I think, you know, I would say dairy is different. Um, and we do Jersey 
Jersey milk. Okay. So uh, so it's a really heavy cream milk. I mean, they're big producers, but you know th- they thrive really well in the summertime, in the spring, in the fall, this time of year. But during the winter time, I mean, it's just. You know they're they're not the brightest creatures. I mean, I hate to say that, but like they just want to, you know. And I guess you know if you, you just want to tuck in some rocks or something like that. But like some of our biggest problems are the cows get caught up in the hillside where they normally wouldn't lay, mm-hmm. and then they roll over. And and you know even though cow tipping is ridiculous, have you ever heard of it? Yeah. You know, yeah. and then and it's always like expressed in movies like the people go out in the fields and they push a cow over. That does not happen. I don't. I don't think you can go push a twelve hundred pound animal over. Um, that cow's probably going to hurt you if you scare it too too bad. You know? But uh, the truth of the matter is, is that if a cow rolls over in the field and it can't get its footing back, it will bloat until it dies. Mm-hmm. And so you know, dairy cows. That's more problematic. But like the the good news is that it's more hands on. So we're we're definitely milking them twice a day. We keep okay. them in closer pastures, so it's easier to watch over them and, and then tend to their needs, you know, a lot better. Uh, our beef cattle don't we don't have any problem with that. Um, <laughs> they are just acclimated to whatever um, whatever's going on, whatever season it is. But the worst that we found, and I'll be honest, this was a this is new to us, but like it's just heartbreaking and shocking. Is we started my daughter uh, Anna, she. Uh, she has been wanting sheep since she's been seven. <laughs> and this girl, I mean, she, we pay our children money for some of the work that they do on the farm that brings money in. So okay. they're entitled. We, we, we carve out little, yeah. you know, and, and the, uh, if you're seven years old, you know, you're basically the title of your job is poop catcher. <laughs> and they stand there with a bucket. <clears throat> Even though we have like a system where, you know, the manure can go out of the the parlor yeah we like to catch it and compost it okay. so you know we don't let it get messy and we don't let it just get into the system so we just catch it and then they dump it outside where where we compost and um so seven years old that's a perfect job for them and they get 50 <laughs> cents a day and so you know, now you're talking you know she started getting her 50 cents a day at at seven years old and when she was 11 she saved up over 1500 dollars and she bought, and now that's not just 50 cents, it's birthday money. Yeah, stuff like all that. sorts of. She bought her own sheep. She bought all the fencing for her sheep operation. And so we now have Icelandic lambs that we got from Grandview Farms out, out outside of Abingdon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, they, uh, gorgeous sheep, wonderful animals, but they, you know, when you go start entertaining the idea of getting sheep, Everybody tells you about worms, and everybody tells you, oh, you're going to have to feed them the medicine for it. And, and you know, I think we went in a little naive, yeah. um, just acting like, oh, well, we'll just do it differently. You know? and, like, <laughs> and, no, it's so problematic, and it's such a heartbreaking thing to watch my daughter just struggle to, you know. And she's doing well. I mean, she is doing very well, but it is um, – it is just, you know, she's had some losses and ignorance, just mm-hmm. not knowing what to do. And and so, you know, it's just so heartbreaking to watch that. But that would be right now the they've they've taken the cake on what the <laughs> hardest thing to do on the farm is and just keep them sheep worm free and and thriving. And uh, and it just seems to be just July and August. Oh, <laughs> telling you. And then when it comes in, it just hits hard and. You're almost, yeah, so uh, that's the hardest. <laughs> Everything else is almost, you You can control 
everything else to minimize almost all the other risk in the operation. Yeah. But with sheep, it just we haven't we haven't gotten there. But I swear, we just bought a ram. My daughter just bought a ram from Pennsylvania. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful ram, and um, and bringing genetics in from outside of the the region. And um, you know, we started talking to that guy when we were on the farm picking it up. And I mean, he it wasn't even like thirty seconds in, and he was already relating to her. Mm-hmm. and all the heartbreak that sheep are and yeah. uh, so it's not like you know somebody's doing it right and everybody's <laughs> doing it wrong or it's just it, when you go into that realm that's a part of the heartbreak it seems yeah. so uh, real passion project man. <laughs> what how are you using the sheep for the farm is it are you uh like harvesting wool or well you know so my daughter is i mean she has big dreams i mean this girl's <laughs> talking about making clothes and um you know just anything she can out of the fleeces and mm-hmm. stuff um she they're also a great meat meat yeah. breed so and then the, the main reason we went with icelandics they're not the best milking sheep but they rank number six out of all the sheep okay as a milker too so yeah. it's a tri-purpose sheep she was she's since last year i mean devoted she gets <laughs> and she's you know we do all of our chores and then about 11 12 o'clock she goes out and milks her sheep and you know it's only like a quart at a time or something like that yeah. out of two or three sheep but uh but it is something that's going to grow and with our creamery facility that we have on the farm because we have you know we do raw milk herd shares where you can buy into our herd ownership Mm -hmm. and get unprocessed milk we also have a grade a dairy and a parlor on the farm okay and we process you know white milk yogurt buttermilk all that and so when she gets to the point where she has enough she can make cheeses and and we can sell them so they can just kind of fall right into the and she'll have uh, the ability to sell product so um about the whole having milk cows around here i understand many years ago there used to be quite a few dairy farms in this region and that's kind of gone away um on a smaller scale for a dairy farm how does that how does that work compared to like a commercial dairy farm well see i think uh, and you know when we were building the cream we built that back in 2017 and um i mean it was there was like a, a pandemic of dairies going out of business Mm -hmm. during that year too so you know all the headlines are dairies falling and you know dairies collapsing and you know thousands of dairies a year are going out of business and we're going into dairy you know so you're like you have a moment where every once in a while where you're just questioning are we doing the right thing but we were convinced with the micro dairy systems that we were we were doing and processing on the farm uh you know we're cutting out the middleman You know, so for some reason, and I don't understand, you know, when you go to like a Walmart and you see a gallon of milk for $3, $4 a gallon, that's impractical. Like it makes no sense. And the only way it's like that, I mean, the two ways is one, the government is subsidizing a ton of the industry surrounding it. A lot of the grains, a lot of the, Mm -hmm. you know, even the dairies themselves. And two, dairies are taking bottom of the barrel pricing on, on big weights of milk. And so you, when you get these co-ops, you know, once you're a dairy and you have 200 cows and you got that kind of milk volume, you are at the mercy of whoever wants to buy it. Because yeah. if nobody wants to buy it, you're losing a lot of money, <laughs> like instantly. So, so unfortunately, it puts them in the position where they're not making a lot of money off of the volume that is getting picked up. And so, uh, so you know, that's one of the main reasons they're going out of business is it's a, it's a very lopsided business model their Mm -hmm. expenses are 
astronomical and their profit revenues are very small and so you know it's it's hard to last and so with us you know we were going to control you know first start off small i think we started the creamery with five cows and we're up to 18 in milk right now um you know we started off small had enough to take to the abingdon farmers market enough to sell you know locally and then you know as more people turned on to it we just added another cow here another cow there and then slowly grew it and so we're getting as much as we can get out of the value of our milk without you know selling it for pennies on dollar i mean i i really think you know if you're talking let's just say 100 weight is like 12 gallons of milk and they're only getting 12 to 18 dollars so that's like barely a dollar a gallon yeah that's i mean so one of our cows is worth five to ten commercial cows yeah and so you know i and i'm kind of a big advocate if you've got a big dairy i mean you get then you get into the industrial waste yeah. sector of it all and the management gets problematic um i think uh just like two or three years ago Fairlife is a big organic mm-hmm. milk producer and they had some videos go out where some employees were mistreating the calves and yeah. and it was just a big outcry but when you you watch the interviews with the owners you know that wasn't their values no. but their their operation has gotten so big that they can't keep they can't manage it yeah. you know themselves they have to you know allocate management and you know nobody has the passion like the people who started the business you know and so you know and and that was an unfortunate circumstance for them and so that's uh you know i i I, i'm a big advocate if you know these big hundred cow dairies would you know they could sell off half of their cows buy the equipment to uh to process their own milk and then make triple the money that they were making with 100 cows with less cows less expense less you know, uh, mouths to feed, if you will. I mean, because it gets astronomical. I mean, you know, you have 100 cows. That's a lot of feed. Oh, yeah. I mean, even at 18, we're just like, oh, you know, especially hitting the wintertime. <laughs> it's, it's, so, you know, it's just a, a smaller is more manageable. And, uh, and so, you know, like COVID came and went. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have a problem right now. We have no beef appointments for the last half of this year because okay. the slaughterhouses got jacked up. They, they get booked out for the entire year in, like, the first week that their books open up. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not in line to get those appointments, you don't get appointments. Yeah. So we're in the beef business, and we don't have – we have steer ready to go, and we don't have appointments this, yeah. this fall. And um, and so, you know, on in COVID, I didn't – you know, I, I, I say you – know, me and my wife say we just didn't panic. Yeah. And while everybody else was clearing out all the grocery stores and toilet paper, and, you know, they were also flooding the slaughterhouses with appointments – for food and we never reacted so we just you know when april came and we were like yeah we need appointments they're like oh you're september now yeah and it was just like what do you mean you know (laughs) so we went 2020 without any beef but you know we had the chickens and the milk and everything else holding up our boat if we were in just a monoculture operation of just beef yeah chances are we would have fell on our face the first year we were in business Mm -hmm. um, because there was no processing for us yeah Um, and so uh you know the diversity kind of it just works when you're when you're running a farm operation you know half is the size that we're doing you know um, um as far as like the milk house have you thought about um you know making ice cream going into the ice well, cream business yeah <laughs> um it's interesting you say that because uh 
we are currently in the process of discussing it um, and potentially making a move on it over this winter and coming out of the winter in the spring with a new product line. And uh, ice cream is what's next on the list. Um, so that's what we're going on. Unfortunately, when you get into regulated dairy, yeah, I, and I think this is kind of like the, I think it's almost like if you wanted to, you know, when we did our dairy period, it was very expensive to process mm-hmm. milk on farm and meet all the regulations. But like each individual machine, I mean, just to, you know, make ice cream is fifteen to $30,000, depending. And we're not talking about making like a volume of ice cream. We're talking about like three quarts at a time, you know? <laughs> so it's a machine just to make three quarts of ice cream. If you wanted the machine that would process even like 10 gallons at a time, yeah. you're talking forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 for the machine that meets all the regulation. Yeah. So we're just lucky that there is, you know, companies out there who say, you know, it's too expensive for most people, so we'll make this little economy version that meets the regulation the, the, and allows yeah. us to come in. So, so that's what you know. That's the barrier. It's just money. Everything's mm-hmm. money, you know. And and um, you know when you're a farm manager for another guy, you know it's so easy to not see that. <laughs> but when you're running the budget, you know everything runs off the budget. And yeah. if you can't meet it, then you know we just say it will happen when it happens. But it's coming. Yeah. So, yes, we definitely want to go in the ice cream business. And um, you will see me pushing a little cart with a little bell and a little paper white hat. <laughs> and I'm I'm going all in. And I mean, I'm going to be the ice cream man. That's the way to do yeah. it. So you'll see me at all the events. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is uh, what's one of your best products that you guys have oh, out right now? Almost all of it is is, um, you know, we it's kind of like everything's almost got a fan base. Like we Mm -hmm. have, it's kind of like one of those weird things where we're not just like a commodity. We're not just filling like somebody's groceries shelf with a product that people buy. Like, so, you know, it's like, you know, normally it's because of what we do or how we do it or, um, you know, or the relationship we've built with people at the market or, or, you know, with our, um, outlets or retail outlets. And, um, you know, yogurt, is definitely one of the first ones where people have gotten uh, really, I mean, they come, you know, they come to the market first thing to make sure they get theirs. Because if it sells out, they'll be upset. And it's very physical. I mean, you can see, like, they come over and it's disappointment and you feel, you feel horrible. And I mean, I know that, that but it's just, you know, that's how much they want it. That's how much they love it. And, uh, and uh, we sell up in Blacksburg and Floyd and stuff uh, okay. to the health food stores up there. And uh, usually we're we're seasonal when it comes to that because we just can't. The winter has a lower production. We don't we don't make as much, so we have to cut out the furthest ring of yeah. our our expansion. So we're seasonal to most of those vendors, and uh, we have people call us. Are like, are you out of business? Like, <laughs> you know what what's going on? Like, where's my yogurt? You know, and it's just like I have to explain to them. You know, like we're seasonal, and you know we apologize and stuff. But like it. it you know, people get a little fanatic about it, and and that we love. Well, I mean, we've been running now for the last three years in a deficit. Like the demand is higher than what we produce, mm-hmm. and as much as that's a great thing, and everybody will say it when you when, when you explain that to folks, like, well, that's a good problem to have. Like, it is, but it also, it's the worst thing to just tell somebody, like, yeah. sorry, we can't take your money. You know, we're struggling <laughs> over here. We're trying to run a farm and be viable. 
and you want to throw your money at us and we appreciate it, but we can't take it today. You know, that's that's the worst feeling <laughs> as, a, as a producer. I mean, you know, we'd like to be more on top of it, and but we just can't jump the gun and grow too fast. Yeah, We have to grow in steps that are sustainable and steps that are reasonable because you don't want to get to a point where, you know, you just like when COVID hit, the surge was so big. If we would have just expanded to meet all that and when it backed down, we would be overproducing. And that is a bigger loss than underproducing. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just a it's a fine line to walk. And, you know, farm viability is, is you know, as other farmers, anybody listen to this, I mean, they know. You know, uh, it's hard to just be a farmer and make a living mm-hmm. to survive, produce, and, you know, and, and make that your only sole income. Um, there's a lot of farmers around here who have day jobs, and they farm on the evenings and weekends because it is, it's a hard line to walk. Yeah. So, Is there any uh, livestock or anything you would like to add? Like if you could pick a, another... You know, animal to add to your selection. Um, I mean, as much as I could, you know, I'm I'm the kind of the guy who sits and comes up with the business plans and yeah. the and the, uh, the new products and stuff like that. But I think at this point, I have been overruled by my family. I've been <laughs> veto. The veto power is hit. If I start bringing new ideas to the house, everybody's just like, "Hold your horses!" You know, like not happening. Because we're already, you know, loaded up with what we're doing. I mean, now we're kind of at the point where we built a farm store last year. We we launched our, a store on our farm where we sell all of our own products and um, and then a lot of baking supplies and organic, you know, non-GMO uh, flours and grains and cheeses. We actually sell cheese on the farm, okay. Amish cheese, um, ferments, and and our own beef and chicken and all of our own products. But then we just got like a ton of other stuff also on our farm. And uh, and that's pretty much where I I got the line drew, drawn <laughs> because I've maxed out my workforce pretty well. Yeah. And so uh, so the only thing I could really see is my daughter the my daughter Anna who wants the who has all the sheep she wants a horse someday, and you know at the rate she's going she's gonna be <laughs> she's gonna do whatever I mean you know she's gonna probably do it with her own dime and and so there might be horses eventually for the the children want to go that route and. Um, other than that, I cannot imagine I could pull off any more expansion. Um, maybe later, but yeah, yeah not, not anytime soon. So <laughs> I don't even entertain it. <laughs> so um, as far as like homesteading, um, how close is it to like the shows? Because I've seen, you know, there's a few shows that were out on Discovery a few years ago about like uh, modern day homesteaders, would you say that they're probably portraying it as accurate or? I really, I, I honestly, I can't answer that. I mean, we don't have like television like okay. that in, in our house. Um, you know, we like I said, we have eight children and we, we definitely um, don't flood our lifestyle with a lot of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we do have like, you know, internet yeah. and, and, you know, and, and there's stuff that we'll watch, but I don't think we've come across anything where I can, I can answer yeah. that question, honestly. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it really, I think, you know, to speak to the lifestyle, 
because that's what it is. It's a lifestyle. It's not yeah. really like a nine to five. If you come to this thinking that you're doing a nine to five job, it's going to be miserable. You're you're not going to like it. You have to really just kind of commit. You can't look at it like, oh, I put this many hours in today. You know, it's it's you know, it's just what you do when you you have a need here. You just you got to tend to it. You have a need here. You got to tend to it. Two o'clock in the morning, something happens. You've got to tend to it. It's not. You know, like, oh, I already put in my eight hours today, you know, like, so it's, it's, you know, if it's, if they're portraying it, like in a lifestyle capacity, Mm -hmm. then sure. But if they're, if they're really treating it like it's some nine to five job that, you know, you clock in and you clock out and it's not, no, it's, that's, I mean, you can run a, a a farm on a nine to five, but somebody's got to be in the background, really holding it all together. Um, but so uh, if I'm speaking to that show or those shows, yeah. um, that's really all I can say. You just got to be committed. It's a lifestyle. Um, and, you know, that's we enjoy it as, as hard a work it is. It's I mean, what else would we be doing? That's kind of like <laughs> always the question I come back to, you know, even when it's like kind of like wintertime, muddy and miserable. It's just like, what else would I really be doing right now? I'd just be sitting around entertaining myself. Yeah. And uh, and there's no value. We don't. Let me rephrase that. We don't find no value in, in over being overly entertained. I mean, we love entertainment. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's a point where it's just all you do and it's not productive mm-hmm. to anything. Um, so um, so that's where we are with all that. Yeah. Uh, with as many animals as you have, how do you keep, like, uh, do you just put all the uh, dairy cows and then the beef cattle in the same pasture and like you said you also have laying hens and then you also have meat chickens how do you keep everything separate well um we we have a pretty sizable farm Mm -hmm. and um a lot of the you know what they would call tillable acreage we have very little of on the farm so a lot of that is devoted to the hay and um and we use our chickens to fertilize our hay fields so we'll our chickens tend to run around the hay fields a lot in the flats fertilizing everything that we can wherever we can get these um style of cages where they're mobile oh there's the chicken tractor yeah yeah yeah. and so uh so with our meat operations chicken tractors now this year we had a devastating predator year um raccoons and foxes even Mm. and our free range laying operation was not it it just collapsed Mm -hmm. to be honest like and what we were doing we had an egg mobile where we would move that around the farm but we would just let them out to free range and then they would go in at night and it was the, I, the raccoons were coming out of the woodwork i mean we <laughs> i can't express to you how many we we removed from the problem and the equation and they were just still coming and you know you'd be surprised like they will they will come in and grab a chicken like we would watch it they would grab a chicken and run into the brush or up a tree with it still flapping and trying to get away. And that raccoon is just in and out. Our dogs would be on the prowl, and that raccoon could strike quicker than our dogs could get out to the, the okay. problem. And they they cleaned us out pretty good. So um, so there's, uh, you know, that. And now the beef cows, they have, we've got enough land where they have all their own pastures. Mm-hmm. And we might put some dry milk cows out with them that are already bred and stuff like that. Yeah. And then we keep all of our milk cows in, like, the other half of the farm running on a more easier access for us to go get them and bring them into milk and stuff. Mm-hmm. So so everything's kind of split up, but the chickens kind of run in between all of it okay. and just fertilize where we can get fertilizer from them. So, 
Where do you keep the sheep? Uh, the sheep have their own <laughs> pens right now. They are they are a lot closer to the the house and okay. the barn, but they are they've like you know like you're talking six strand fence line electrified fence line because they are just free snack to all the wildlife yeah and um and so protect them we've been lucky to not have any predator issues with the sheep but mm-hmm. um but we have lost them a few times like it's so that even that doesn't always work you know <laughs> they're they're tricky animals but uh but we keep them a lot more closer yeah so and you said you have uh, some dogs. Are those livestock protection dogs? Yeah. Okay. Um, Great Pyrenees is what we have. We have two of them. And um, and then we also have a new new dog we took on this year. Um, and I can't remember. It's a mountain cur mixed with something else. And, and you know what's so interesting is he's not a farm dog. Uh, he didn't come from a farm. We took him as, as uh, one of our customers, mm-hmm. um, passed, him, passed him to us, and we took him. And uh, he's kind of... He's got some kind of cattling herding oh, genetics. Yeah. Like he wants to get in <laughs> on the action real bad, but he does it backwards from what we want. So so I think his instinct is to more bring them in yeah. instead of pushing them and uh and so he's always kinda in the front of it. And that's where that's kinda problematic. But it's it's very interesting to see because he's got some kind of natural cattle herding instinct, but it's we just we're not, you know. We're still new to a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, we've only been doing this for 18 years. And while I can say, you know, our reputation for our poultry is excellent. You know, we're producing some of the best poultry around. Um, our milk is actually winning awards with the state. Okay. You know, we have gotten the last two years Virginia's finest designation for our milk testing, our raw milk testing. Um, and, you know, we don't we didn't even know those awards existed. Yeah. We, just, we just started our thing, and then they take our samples every two weeks, and then, you know, we get a letter in the mail. That, like, we won. You know, it's like, yeah. all right, well, that's that sounds good. So, you know, we've got a lot going on in, in a very high-quality capacity, but um, but I lost my thought <laughs> what that originally was. So, yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> take over. <laughs> the, uh, the milk cattle there, you've said – um, that you've had unpasteurized milk and then you also have pasteurized milk and you said you can get the unpasteurized milk in the um, herd sharing? Yes. Uh, can you explain to everyone what herd sharing is? Because isn't that similar to like the, um, you buy a share of the herd and then get some of the profit? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's sort of, but the profit in in the case of a herd share is mm-hmm. the milk. Yeah. Um, so it's illegal in Virginia to sell raw milk commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, the government will come in pretty quick. And I mean, you know, there's cases across the country where they come in with SWAT teams <laughs> to like stop raw milk sales. So we do not, we know we stick with what's legal. And that is the herd share program. We get a lot of people ask us, like, you think you can? Nope. <laughs> don't ask. Like, we're sorry. You know, we've got to really keep it clean. We've got, um, you know, the herd share is a very viable way of getting raw milk. So now the herd share is, you know, you'll, you know, sign sign with us and become a part owner of our herd. So that entitles you. So it's interesting why it's illegal to sell raw milk. They've protected in the law that it is uh, illegal for the government to intervene with you 
collecting food from your own animals. Like they have no jurisdiction. They've, they've like marked the territory that they have no jurisdiction over. If you have your own milk cow and you want to drink the milk, that's on you. If you have a beef cow and you don't want to have it slaughtered in an inspected facility, it's your right as that animal's owner, no jurisdiction. So, yeah. so the idea is that everybody owns our herd. And if you, you know, if you got sick, there's a liability factor too. So if you got sick off of that animal that you processed without the state inspection, um, the beef, mm-hmm. you can't sue yourself. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, you can't sue yourself if you own the dairy cow. So yeah. and then what what I get paid for is, uh, you know, the boarding and the, the work managing mm-hmm. and feeding and taking care of the animals. Kind of like a, it's the exact same structure if you owned a horse and you had it boarded with yeah. a farmer. It's an adjustment. Uh, I believe that's the word. So same contract, same, same function, except for, you know, you're just paying me to take care of the cows and you're entitled to a portion of the milk out of the supply. What are some of the uh, benefits of raw milk? Well, I mean, it, it, you know, and this will be something that, you know, some people argue with. I mean, if you go to CDC, and I'll just declare it right away, you go to CDC website, they're going to tell you raw milk is an inherently uh, diseased and it will kill you and you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some farms that, you know, you know, you just, if you drink their milk, that's kind of <laughs> what's going to happen. So, you know, it's not like they're lying. But it's not inherently bad. Healthy okay. animals produce healthy food. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it works. And uh, so, you know, if you are drinking a good quality uh, milk uh, from a v- very healthy animal, it's uh, advantageous on all levels. It's got a, a nutritional profile that you cannot get in a monocultured dairy. Um, cows that are just fed corn that are just grown in 10,000 acres where they're just spreading sewage on the fields all the time and there's no renewal of the soil or regrowth or resting of the lands or any of that kind of stuff. Um, You're not going to get a very large nutritional profile. I mean, milk is heavy naturally in vitamin D and calcium. Mm -hmm. And even the processing itself destroys so much of that that they have to re-fortify the milk again with synthetic vitamin D and calcium. Yeah. Um, You know, so like, you know, there's a lot of destruction you know that happens heat destroys it's just kind of what it what it does it kills it it and makes it um inert yeah and uh and so they got to put back some of the value into it and so when you drink it raw you're getting all the pure value i mean and in the spring our our milk is golden and even right now the the grass the fall lush that's happening right now where the good high energy grasses are growing um, you're getting a lot of beta carotene in it and a lot of, you know, whereas if you buy a grain fed solely monocultured milk product, it's stark white is just white. And that's not, you know, that's not a, doesn't have a very diverse profile. Yeah. Um, so nutritionally, you know, there's a, a lot going on, um, versus, um, uh, you know, store bought milk or commercial milk or, or however you want to put it. Um, and then you'll you'll see like CDC will say you know oh you know in all of our testing you know um, you know pasteurized and processed milk is uh, you know it's not significantly any different than mm-hmm. raw milk. Well, you know you can say that, <laughs> but like when you try it side by side, it's one hundred percent a different product. Yeah. And um, and so it's rich. It's you know it's got a lot of just a lot of value that uh, you cannot get out of processed milk. And then the homogenization, you know, whereas store-bought milk, the homogenized milk has got all this molecular uh, destruction to the cream molecule so it doesn't 
yeah. you know, separate and rise to the top. You can't make things out of it like you can a raw milk. Like yeah. With our milk, whether even our pasteurized milk, that's not homogenized. You can make any cheeses, cottage cheese, whey, you know, curds, um, butter, cr- take the cream, put it in your coffee. I mean, it's just anything dairy you can make out of it. We have a product that is the key ingredient to any other dairy. Uh, the stuff in the store, I mean, sure, you can do some stuff, but you it's not it's not available to produce any dairy mm-hmm. traditionally made out of milk just because the cream is not intact anymore. So um, so uh, the next big question I have since we're uh, coming down on time a little bit, um, what do you think about the future of farming in this region? I mean, obviously, you've got a few kids that I'm sure you hope continue oh, yeah. that. Well, I, I definitely, I mean, you know, one, um, I think that, um, you know, it's it's an old man's game right now. You know, mm-hmm. and you hear about, like, the average age is old. Um, you know, and I know a lot of older farmers whose kids have no interest in it. But a lot of the surgeons of, like, people like us, you know, we came in in our 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're kind of hitting our 40s, and it's a little different. But, you know, <laughs> um, but, you know raising the children's lifestyle. But it's it's not so much that, you know, people don't – I mean – I guess there is a bad rap. People don't want to work or whatever it is. But like if, if more of the community, if the region looked inward to more of their food production, there is a lot of eager people here, you know, yeah, you know, trying to do it. I mean, at the Abingdon Farmers Market, for instance, is where we've started selling since we moved here. Um, it has grown exponentially over the years. Um, and the past few years since COVID, you know, whatever, whether it was the COVID, the pandemic. Um, you know, the manager nowadays, uh, David McLeish is the manager. If anybody has any questions or anything regarding the Abingdon Farmer's Market, to reach out and talk to him. He's been a wonderful manager. He was a vendor. Uh, he has Dreamland Alpacas out in Meadowview. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so, uh, you know, he's been doing an amazing work just managing the market, you know, putting us on the map and, and getting us, you know, positioned to where we are better marketed and better advertised and stuff. And the last few years have just been now this year would be my biggest one because like COVID hit and yeah, it was great. It's great. I mean, best pandemics are the best thing for small, small food. producers. <laughs> hate to say it, but it was the best marketing strategy ever. You know? And I mean, that sounds so crazy to say, but it was true. I mean, everybody was flourishing yeah. with the pandemic because everybody, when you start getting the news saying that we're going to run out of food, all of a sudden, everybody wants to know your neighbor farmer. <laughs> but this year was the first testament where we're kind of like we backed out of the COVID enough where – and it was the most astronomical market year. I mean, this market is growing exponentially right now. And um, it's just a great time to want to start small. And I, and I say this to most farmers because even us, we started small. We could never do what we did, buy the farm and all this stuff, mm-hmm. just out of a whim. We started – we had our own chicken operation on Rafi's farm. We grew that to a viable part, and then we built the creamery, had the herd share, and we kind of developed all this stuff under his wings. And then when we got to the point where it was sustainable enough, then we bought the farm. So we didn't it, – it's hard to just, you know, I'm going to have 150 acres tomorrow, and we're going <laughs> to do this. So, um, But, like, the local community, the region, you know, they're the ones really in control of this. I mean, if they want to see a, a, a strong food infrastructure locally – they need to go to the markets. They need to. There's a market in almost every township, mm-hmm. you know, or town around here. Um, they need to like look, talk to their neighbors. You know, if their neighbor grows some some vegetables, 
and they sell at a market, you know, talk to them. I mean, you'd be surprised just uh, a lot of this system depends on relationships. So, you know, at, at worst, you know, you might, you know, not get, you know, the 99 cent pounds of boneless breast packs that they sell at the grocery store. Yeah. But at the best, the, the, what you will get is a great relationship with good people, hardworking folk. Um, you know, really putting all their, you know, best foot forward and trying to produce the best quality product they can. And, you know, it's, and it, a lot of farmers around here are, are doing just that. And so it's not just us. It's, it's, there's a lot going on everywhere. And uh, just meet, meet your farmers, ask them questions, and next thing you know, you've got yourself a community mm-hmm. and a food community, which is, I mean, what better? Who doesn't like to eat? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Uh-huh. What advice do you have if somebody's uh, listening that wants to get into farming? There? I've given this advice before, and some people were didn't listen. So this is this is the real advice that I think <laughs> is the key. So if you wanted to start in a small capacity, now if you want to go into grocery stores and you want to get into a bigger food networking, mm-hmm. then you know you're going to start bigger, and it's going to be a lot bigger investment and stuff like that. But if you're looking to start, you know. Um, small and grow into something more viable, just, you know, start small. You know, for us, like poultry is the best example. You know, when we started, we had 25 birds. Mm-hmm. It was our first batch of chickens we did. We went to the market and we came home with 17. And so, you know, but we could still eat 17. But if we did 400, we'd be, we'd be going broke and going bankrupt like overnight. Yeah. So the next 25 batch we did, we took it to the market. We came back with 12. And then the third batch we did, we actually sold, you know, 21 or 23 or something like that. And they were all gone. And so we did that a couple more times that season. Then the next season, we decided to go up to 50. So we were already building enough customer base to sell our 25. Now we just did the same thing where we incremented our way up to 50. But whatever we brought home as a family, we could still eat. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't like it was going to waste or we weren't losing money. We were just feeding ourselves and using that as a buffer. And then slowly, you know, now we do 300 birds every four weeks. And so uh, and that's kind of where we're at. That's where our management level is. And that's really good money. You know, so, you know, on a you know, if you were just doing a five acre farm with an operation like that, you'd be thriving. You'd be mm-hmm. doing really well. Um, but just start small. And let it organically grow because um, we know somebody went in and did 80, 800 birds. Like just that's what they were. They were coming in to take over the operation and then they just – it collapsed under them before they even really began. And there's not enough people who n- realize that they want to have those birds. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something you grow with relationships like I was saying at the market, talking to people and, and you know, and maybe even giving out a few free birds, letting yeah. people try them and – and, uh, you know, and then also mastering your ability to raise quality birds. Yeah. You know, you don't want to just come out with no experience and just try to have that many birds as if it's low quality. Now you're in a world of hurt. So start small and dream big. That's my advice. All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. We're wrapping up here. And uh, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Live in Appalachia. We interviewed Dwayne McIntyre from Goshen Homestead today. Um, so I thought it was a great interview. Oh, well, and thanks. I, thanks. I think everyone really enjoyed that.
Do you have any last bit of advice before we go off the air here? Oh, go to the Abingdon Farmer's Market. Abingdon Farmer's Market. Support your local farmers. I mean, even if you're not going to shop with me, go shop with the other farmers. <laughs> it is all good for all of us. And uh, But if you definitely want, you know, come out to our farm store. We're open Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, see us at the market.